Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmLife.com. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure you can do this homeschool thing. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do. Or if you are a homeschool mama unsure that the way you're showing up in your homeschool isn't the way you want to be showing up in your homeschool, then this is the podcast for you. I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey to help you strategize ways to turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. So welcome, homeschool mama. Today, I get to introduce you to Robin Robertson, or reintroduce you to her because I've had her on the podcast before and I love chatting with her and I love listening to her podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Robin is an unschooling mom to two kids. She's a podcast host, a business owner, and a public school board trustee. Robin, her husband, and their two kids started the world schooling journey in 2012. During this time, she watched curiosity and excitement for life grow in her family. Two things stood out to her. She noticed that less time in school did not equal less learning. In fact, learning seemed to be more meaningful outside of school. She also saw that her family's bond strengthened. Her experiences traveling while home educating had Robin questioning her past beliefs around parenting, how we learn, and also the education system. It also highlighted her need for community. This led Robin to launch her podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, which is a platform to share ideas, stories, and information about the joys and challenges of home education and self-directed learning. The podcast also serves as a place to bring together a collective voice for change in the broader education system. Today, she advocates politically for home education and self-directed learning. With her experience and trustee position, she bridges the gaps between the homeschool community and local educators. She combines that experience, knowledge, and curiosity in her mentoring, working with families to help them envision and create their own unique learning paths. Welcome, Robin. First of all, I want to say welcome back to the podcast, and I'm bringing you into my closet, which I would never do in real time. I would, you probably would never see the walls in this room, but it's good for sound. Uh, I'd bring you pretty much anywhere else in the entire property. (laughs) So I'm stepping into the closet. All right. (laughs) Okay. In the closet. So what's in the closet stays in the closet. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. For the laundry. Yes. So welcome back. And for all of those homeschool moms that don't know you already, uh, would you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah. All of that. So I am a homeschooling parent to two um, right now. My oldest is 15 and my youngest is 12. Uh, We have been on this learning journey, this home learning, natural learning world schooling, unschooling, whatever you want to call it, how it evolves uh, for nine years is going into nine years now. Uh, really, we, you know, take every year as it comes, because I find every year looks different. Yeah. Um, I have, my husband and I started this because we wanted to travel with our kids. Mm-hmm. And we found that homeschooling would just be the easiest to be flexible and be with our schedule and where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. So that's how we started with the intent. Well, I guess maybe my intent 
was that when we returned home within a shorter amount of time, we would just go back to our regular life in the city in Canada and the kids would go back to their school and we would keep on going as we were. But as it happens, life changes and evolves and we kept on traveling and kept on homeschooling and everyone wanted to continue. So that's now where we are. We are back in Canada, but in a different place and we're still homeschooling. And I continue to explore and learn and and work within all of those aspects of alternative education, homeschooling, um, development. I have my podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling Kids, which is in its fifth season. And that really began because I had all those questions that I find so many homeschool parents have. And I wanted answers. I wanted to connect with more homeschoolers and just learn more from others that were doing things that supported learning. And so that's why I started the podcast. And I love podcasts. So it was a good fit. And then, you know, I, I have worked in education over the years, over many years, over over well over 15, probably getting close to 20 years in different forms, whether it's private education, teaching English overseas, uh, working as an administrative level within a private school, public education. I'm a currently a school board, public school board trustee as well. And I've run tutoring businesses. I've, you know, project-based learning classes, you know, all kind of different forms of that. And then obviously as an unschooling mom, I'm learning every day still. So I love in your bio, how you said homeschooling really taught you to see learning in a different way. And that is my experience on your podcast. I've learned so many things. I've distilled what I really believe about what an education is anyways, for myself or for my specific kids. But I'm curious, can you give me the definitive answer? What is an education anyway? Hmm, That's a good question. I think an education is all of those aspects of life that just add to your human beingness. (laughs) So whether that is taking a class, whether that is being in the world, working, volunteering, just learning a skill, delving into a curiosity, exploring your creativity, moving your body. Um, meeting other people, being in conversation, all of those aspects are an education. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, you know, an education can be, you receive an education in many different forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that's that. Too. <laughs> that is, yeah, what you said really is anything that's helping contribute to your human beingness. I love that. You reshared a quote by teacher Tom. Perhaps society doesn't want to raise our children to do great things. Great things, by definition, are disruptive. But as an educator and parent, this is exactly the opportunity I wish to offer to the children in my life. And this so reflects what I understand about your general energy and how you approach things. You seem to me to be a diplomatic rebel. That's a, that's the first, that's a good terminology. That's the first I've heard that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would, yeah. that would describe me well, I think. Yes. Yeah. Cause I love that combination of you are a school board trustee and unschooling mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. What's up with that? Like, so which, which direction are you going? Are you trying to bring the school board into the unschooling or are you going into the school board? and taking that unschooling energy or that, that approach into that area? It's both actually, I find. 
um, probably because I don't know what the end result will be. So I feel like why not work on two different sides? I see it as an opportunity to bring um, to bring the opportunity that self-directed education and interest-led learning and natural exploration brings into the institution. Um, I find that through my work so far, what I found is that many educators just haven't had exposure to other forms of learning outside of the institution of school. And it's not like they don't want to, or they're against it, or whatever other else. Really, they just don't know. They just haven't been exposed to it because they're within the institution. So, you know, really seven days a week. I find many educators work seven days a week. It's not just when school starts and finishes. They're there after school. They're there on the weekends. They're, you know, on the holidays. They're planning and prepping and going into their classrooms or into the school. They're doing PD and all those sort of things. So they're immersed inside of that institution. So anything else going on outside of that building, outside of that institution, uh, is almost foreign in some ways. It's like they don't get a chance to experience it. So why not bring it in so that they can get a better understanding? Because I find when I speak with most educators inside of the institution, maybe at first it's a little bit of doubt or I don't know or questioning, but then it very quickly becomes a, wow, I had no idea. You know, Mm -hmm. I would love to do this, but I didn't know this was happening in this form or that this could happen or that there are families that have already done this. Uh, So I find that part of my role is bringing in that experience and bringing in that insight. And then at the same time as well, on the other end, um, you know, working on the other end of that as well, not only bringing it in, but then maybe expanding it from, you know, the, the inside out. Uh, and connecting that community as well as part of it. So it's part of the bridge because as much as anything, I think with the unschooling and self-directed learning side, we talk about we want our society and communities to embrace it more, to be part of that education, that learning process. I know many talk about the libraries as being the ultimate agile learning center because it's free, it's a public service. It's usually in many places, whether you're rural or metro, Mm -hmm. It has staff that are usually very conducive to supporting self-directed learning. You have resources there. Like it's just the ultimate and you're not required to be there. Usually Uh it's by choice, but we could have, you know, there's many other things within our communities that are very similar that support self-directed learning. And I also see schools many times as a community hub. I mean, depending where you are, some places more so than others, if you live in a small community, many times a school is a central point. It's maybe the meeting place outside of school hours. It's the center where you can hold events. It's the place where maybe people come from other places and kind of locate and focus. So why not open it up to all? Why, why can it only be a certain select few that can access it when really it's there to support learning and education in many ways? So why not allow it to be more open? to the rest of the learning community, no matter how old you are as well. So that's my diplomatic rebelness. Yes, I was just, (laughs) you know, you're a (laughs) podcaster, because I was literally going to go down that path and say, that is the reflection (laughs) of your diplomatic rebel. You know, you're building a community. You're definitely super cool, because you are also on Clubhouse. And Mm -hmm. that is the newest, coolest um, platform to be. 
And I'm not that cool. I don't actually have a phone yet. So I'm like way back in the stone ages of not cool. <laughs> but you're building a community. Maybe it's not that you're not cool. Maybe you're reasonable in many ways. So <laughs> Maybe I'm also not cool. But <laughs> I have teenagers. They agree with me. But <laughs> Clubhouse, Clubhouse um, provides a community as well. And I see the different topics that you're discussing. And it's focused in obviously self-directed learning or if you want to use the terms um, unschooling, or if you want to say, um, you know, discussions on the political ramifications of, of home education, you're focusing on those different things, but you're also creating a community for people to interact on that. And I think that's pretty cool. So when I get a phone, <laughs> I will join you on that. But tell me what your intention on there is. So I originally joined Clubhouse as an experiment. My husband was actually the one who was like, oh, you should check out this new thing that I heard about because he's always, you know, he knows all of those, those things. He's more the tech, you know, he's all cool. the new things. <laughs> he's more cool on that. Yeah. Um, and he's pretty selective too. So it's not just everything. He kind of like looks into it and, and, and he's like, I think this would be something worth checking out. Uh, so I went on there just as just to try it out. And it was in the early stages of the app. So it was very the new kind of, you know, everyone I think on there at the time was kind of excited because it was something very different. But yeah, I quickly found that it was a great place to just have those discussions, uh, like a podcast, but then it's almost like I'm like, I'm going to do this podcast, everybody come on into my living room and hang out while we do this. And let's talk about it. It just really actually organically unfolded in that way. And I met some great homeschoolers on there and educators that I probably would have not been connected with otherwise. Yeah. And yeah, the community started to grow and more uh, families and parents came on there that um, you know, they wanted, they were looking for inspiration and questions to be answered and, and really a lot that comes with the podcast for the same thing, but also one of the engagement. So it just, it turned out to be an ideal app that allows for that. And it's a great platform for a podcaster and for this community, I think as well, um, because it's without the uh, like the shiny objects in the way of the the pictures and the colors and all. it's just audio, right? It's uh-huh. just your voice. So that discussion is there. You can listen and do those things. So yeah, it, it's, so I saw it and I, you know, I just quickly realized this is a great way to build community within this app and started growing it. And especially as others connected and reached out to me uh-huh. and yeah. And it's just been like slowly growing like that. And we've, it's a great place to provide some other resources for parents, which is really my jam in so many ways is that support, right? So you introduced me to like, you encouraged me to look into my Enneagram and yes. um, Isabel Lado, who was also my pot, she's the, you know, the world school to the grown unschool. I think she's about 18 now. She was on, she also was saying, you really should, I, I want to know what you are as well. She and her family's into that. So I looked, when I looked more, I'm a helper and it definitely fits quite a bit. Um, and that helping, you know, I want the goal is to help and support parents that are on the similar learning journey that have a lot of questions and maybe some doubts and fears and need some support as well. So, yeah. So you honey, know, I actually know a lot of podcasters that are type two. So I find that intriguing. So if you're yeah. a podcaster and you're not a type two, you should definitely let me know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a default um, to, for me to try to help people. You initially decided to go into podcasting 
uh, what I'd heard you share is that because you're trying to build a community, so that continues to happen in your now, is this fifth year, fifth season of home- homeschool podcasting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's my fifth year, fifth season. Yeah, yeah, yeah an amazing way to connect with parents. And just like you, I'm also always listening to podcasts. I always listen to your podcast. Um, was listening to it this morning, actually, the discussion about college and how to approach college education for homeschoolers or unschoolers. Um, you know, it, whatever the topic is, it does create a community. And But for those of us listening, it just makes us maybe a little bit more connected into other people's or other homeschoolers worlds. And we all don't homeschool the same way. And frankly, we don't all call it homeschooling, right? So, you know, we'll call it home educating. That's how I started. I like that word the best. And then I moved to homeschooling because that's what most connected with people that they knew that intuitively. And then I went into my unschooling phase. And then I discovered quickly that people are very scared by that that word. (laughs) And so then I moved into self-directed learning because that sounded a lot more palatable. And now I'm just back to homeschooling because I'm like, whatever, it's all the same thing. (laughs) So you identified as, uh, or would you say you identify as one of those? Or what do you think about that discussion about all that labeling? Oh, yeah, I kind of feel the same way that you do. Um, It's, you know, we recently I'd had a discussion about how so many times we leave the institution of school to get away from all that labeling and boxes to still just to continue to put ourselves into that labeling and boxes. I find, I mean, I call myself and our family, we call it, we say we're unschoolers because we don't probably follow the traditional look the schooly look of things. But I mean, really, sometimes we do. Sometimes it looks like that, like my daughter was just doing a science experiment before I came mm-hmm. up here. And, you know, that was a kit that we ordered. And, um, you know, it's almost class-like in that way. Or yes. you know, really, it's just, the, I, I, I like to call it the natural learning journey. Yeah. Yeah. Self- yeah. Natural learning, because we ebb and flow as it calls for as they call for as it exactly. needs because I need as a mom and parent yes the working parents as well so yes yeah absolutely it's all of it and I I don't want to just like you I don't want to choose a word to describe how I'm doing it sometimes I'm trying to choose words so people understand how I'm approaching it but just like you said at the beginning every year changes so this is the first year I think both of us actually have one child that we're homeschooling right now <laughs> Yeah, and that's that is that is very different. And my son was just doing a YouTube study on I think it's called the Trachtenberg formula, something about learning how to quickly calculate things in like larger numbers. And he'd seen something on a movie called Gifted and a very interesting movie. And then he's like, I want to figure that out. And that to me, that's like it looks very schooly, but he's just interested in something like that. That's definitely not coming from me. That's his interest. And yet he's sitting down at the table with a pen and a paper and trying to figure out, you know, how does he calculate formulas quickly? And it looks schooly. So this first time that you've had one child at home, what is that like? It's different. (laughs) It's an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah, But it's, it's like you said, it's like every year it's you know, we, we look at what's coming and say, okay, we'll try our best to prepare for it and then roll with it as it comes along. So yeah, it's, it's been different. Um, We started out as, 
you know, my daughter, I was like, oh, beware for some smothering mothering. It's kind of like, our yes. joke, you know, call yeah. it a smothering mothering because she's going to be the focal point. I actually think, you know, I think she le- really enjoys it, <laughs> you know, being the one, um, the one child to be focused on in that way. Um, right. And, you know, the undivided attention and sometimes in that way. Um, but yeah, it's, we're just, we're rolling with it. And then it comes with those challenges. You think like, oh, an only child, is she getting enough of this? Is she getting enough of this? You know, especially now with limitations on mobility and access mm-hmm. and things with, cause we're still, you know, um, with COVID and everything like that with yeah. lockdown and different and different measures and things. Um, uh-huh. So you know, those things that maybe I didn't have as much of a concern of before that I do more now. Right. Is, yeah. You know, friends and access and opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's still the same. We're rolling with it. And it was actually just today. I thought, well, I started, I thought I can do this kind of schedule coming in with my work and balance and stuff with her, but the season has changed. And here in Alberta right now, it's just finishing harvest time and that changes our schedules and we feeling we're needing a bit more sleep. And so my morning schedule, you know, and then it's like, well, I really, I kind of realized before I'm like, well, wait a minute. I I can change things. <laughs> we don't have to be, you know, I, we, we can change things around. So yeah, it's just the always ever, ever constant process of adjustments and changes and flexibility, but it's been different for sure. Yeah, I mean, it has been different. I'm with you. I'm trying to work alongside um, my son and, and when we're doing more formal things, which is probably only like an hour, hour and a half together. And we're doing that while I'm also podcast editing. And the irony is that I share the myth of multitasking. You get less done when you're multitasking. You're certainly not as peaceful <laughs> when you're multitasking, but I'm doing more of it now than I was before. Yeah, absolutely. More than when I had four, I think, or maybe, maybe when four were older and they were not the really little age at that age. I just thought I was like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> and now I realize now that I have two kids at home, it really is nice just to have two. <laughs> I have to tell you that it is. But now that I'm also perimenopausal and waking up at like five o'clock in the morning, I'm like, this might be the ideal time to have a baby. What am I talking about? <laughs> Not really. Okay. Is that okay? Public service <laughs> announcement. I'm too old. <laughs> and then so, Teresa messaged me, guess what? <laughs> That conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be truly news to me. Every time I go into some medical appointment and they ask me about that, I'm like, well, thank you for thinking that that's possible. <laughs> so you had a big shift last year, too, because I have one daughter that's already in Ontario for the last um, three, four years, something like that. I've been independent for a few years. And then I have my second daughter, homeschool graduate this year. and always challenging to let them go like that. So challenging. But my my first daughter was always independent. And of course, we do this uh, self-directed learning approach that really, I have a similar value that you have. I don't remember how you phrased it, but I liked how you phrased it. But it is to enable agency or enable independence in our kids. And I think we're naturally independent-minded in the first place. But then we, we focus on what our kids' interests are. We focus on what's their next little adventure or their next experience. And we facilitate that. But that usually means that those kids are going to leave earlier or they're going to do something that's a little more radical and surprising, definitely different than the regular culture. 
And so you had a big shift this year as well, where your son is in, well, in a remote area doing some very interesting things. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So my son currently is, yeah, he's in quite a remote area (laughs) and he's working for a fishing and hunting outfitters. Um, So he, I think probably like six months ago, he, he left on this journey. It's something that we had talked about for a while. He was interested. It was actually, we know the owner of the Outfitters and um, we knew it could be a possibility. And he showed a lot of interest. He was really interested in the Outfitters um, and all the stories and everything that goes along with it. And I don't even remember how it got into it that we had the chance to, you know, ask the Outfitter, you know, what, what kind of placement there is, or if there's an opportunity to have a young person later on or whatever. Um, And he was really open to my son joining as soon as my son felt he was ready. He was like, as soon as he's ready, I'll, I'll take him on, which was great. And so as an unschool, he has a self-directed learner supporting those adventures and your interest and focus. He was ready pretty early. um, So 14 And it was definitely something that we had long conversations about. It wasn't like decided and he was gone. We talked about it uh, as a family, one-on-one, talked about with my husband quite a bit. The two of them spoke about it, talked about our concerns and fears, of course, like any parent has, um, and how, and not just putting fears on, but also, you know, here's our work. How can we, you know, this is maybe what will help me to feel better about it. Or what do you think about it? How would you handle the situation? And then really talking through it and, um, you know, being very open about things in that way as well. So, yeah, he he went, he got he there was things he needed to do to prepare and be ready. Some things that really a lot of mostly he learned on the spot as he was there day by day. Uh, And, yeah, we said goodbye to him. Um, So, yeah, it would have been in the spring and we took him out as far as we could because it's remote enough that it's fly in um and and he has been gone working for the fishing and hunting outfitters and so he's a helper to the main guides so I mean he does all of like the labor and grunt work from you know fixing things learning how to shoe horses taking care of the horses rounding them up in the morning um learn changing tires fixing vehicle like all of those things he was learning and doing to going on the hunts and packing packing things and scouting and setting up camp and you know all of those things as well so it's been a very hands-on experience I think for him um it's been that next step you know how it is when as much as we provide self-direction it's always different when you're home with mom and dad right oh yeah absolutely so when they're out on fully on their own, when they're fully responsible for themselves, um, you know, it takes on a whole new real meaning. And I think that's really been his adventure as well. And knowing that, uh, what did he say? I think when he was visiting, he was speaking with his aunt, my sister-in-law, and he said something like, or maybe he had phoned and she was there and he said something to the effect of, um, I still care about what my parents say, but some of the things aren't, don't really matter right now, you know, because, you know, we're not there. He's on his own. The situation is different. And I'm like, I get it. Yeah. Like he still respects of what we have to share, but at the same time, he has to make the meeting for himself. So yeah, growing up. Yeah. It's been a huge learning adventure for me. (laughs) Oh yeah. 
I'm just going to ask you, how is your mama heart? Because it, it, it is hard. I cried. I'm not going to lie. I cried, you know, yes, at night when I was in bed and the door was closed and, you know, I woke up in the night and you do like, am I doing the right, you know, the letting yeah. go process, uh-huh. the grieving process. Because yeah. part of it is, you know, like he's leaving. That little boy is now eternally gone. Right. Right. I way, totally know that. I know that feeling. Physical stepping over that threshold. Yeah. Like the little boy was here and he stepped over that threshold now. and Just yes, as it was, should have been. Yes. And yes. yet it's not how we signed up for parenting. So then when, when it actually happens, you're like, ah, uh, do we have to do this? <laughs> it's like birthing a, a person into the world. Yes. And it, you know, they don't, you don't lose them, but every, you know, things change. And yep. yeah, I feel for you. I, the entire, you know, during that time, I was like, oh, girlfriend, I can imagine <laughs> how you're feeling. Because even though it's a beautiful thing and you're like, oh, so exciting. You know, my second daughter is going to an, a, a degree in, I'm not going to say this right, a fine arts degree. And she's doing ballet and she loves it. And she's so independent. And I was so anticipating her feeling so lonely and just like oh what will I do without mom and dad and I have yet to hear those words and I'm like darn it (laughs) you miss me you can come back home wait you're happy hey can you get on your phone (laughs) can you can we talk yeah remember me yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, we, we put the you know if you if you need to come home, the door is open. That's not a you can certainly do so. And and yeah, it's just, I mean he's also it's hard to connect because he's in the middle of yes. nowhere as well. But uh, yeah, we, we don't hear from him all that often. But he does check in and say I'm good. I'm I'm back from the mountains or whatnot. But yeah, it's a process. But it's all it's also it's not, it's not to say that. Um, which is really interesting because I think this is a natural journey as well for childhood into adulthood. And we used to have strong traditions around it, strong um, rituals around it. Uh, I don't think we do as much anymore. I think the ritual has become post-secondary in many ways. Um, And so in a certain age, because it, it, it sounds very cool and exciting and people are like, Oh, wow, that's wonderful. But there's also the, other side too, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, what kind of responsible parent are you? Uh, How can, why aren't they just in school instead? And, you know, what about this and this and this? So, um, you know, it's, it's also interesting about, you know, I've been talking a lot lately at Clubhouse and on social media, the, you know, why wait? You know, I think Leanna Francisco, one of our co-hosts in our club, um, we had a room on like, why wait? Why have them wait to do the things they want to do? If they're already doing, they're interested and immersed, why wait until they're 21? Why wait until they're 25? Why wait until they're 18 if they're ready to do something now? And um, that's not as common anymore. That's changing because mm-hmm. now it is you have to make them wait until they're 18 or until they're 20. They're not ready. They're not capable. They're not trustworthy. They're not responsible. They're not knowing all those sort of things. But Yet we gain so many of those things through experience and doing yes. things, but we don't yes. let our kids do things anymore. So if homeschooling has taught me anything though. It is to stand independently. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't like hearing negative feedback about things and I haven't parented perfectly. So then I don't always know. That that every <laughs> I, I know I like, I'm just like, just in case anybody's wondering if I think that no way I know it. And also you know, you couldn't have held my daughter back. She was the kind of kid that Enneagram type eight, anybody like anybody got that kid because that kiddo is 
tough to parent, but yeah. will make their way into the world and do their thing. And yeah, just like you said, they have to learn what they have to learn in real time. But, you know, she's come back and said, hey, I respect how you keep a pantry stocked. <laughs> you know, she, she's like, that's impressive. That's the little things, right? That they, yeah, that become very important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I've also heard her say to her younger brother, you know what happens when you're an adult, you get to choose to drink orange juice whenever you want. (laughs) And mom says it's like once a week, it's a special thing, but you can like drink it every day. And I'm like, this is true. (laughs) Our values are different. (laughs) And we get to exercise them as well. We when we get to understand what our values are and live them, and that's the beauty of it as well. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, you actually speak a lot to values, and that is something that I wanted to chat with you about. Is so, w- I would love to hear what your values are around your family or around your unschooling experience, because I'm with you that when we get clear though it changes, when we get clear on our values and what we're about, then we can decide how we're going to engage our kids or how we're going to homeschool. And what I mean to say is that our values can change and we can distill them and we can get clearer on them. And then if we are partnered, we definitely have to distill them together and determine how we're doing it together. But our values, if we can always go back to whatever our values are, that helps us to stand strong in the choices that we're making in our home. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's often overlooked, but it's fundamental. Yeah. Uh, And it's like, it's a key piece for sure. Uh, You know, when we get, we have understand and are clear on our values and guiding purpose, that's, that is our marker, essentially, that's our, um, our driving purpose that helps us to like ground us. So when things you know, when things become uncertain or doubtful, or we need to change direction, and we're not sure where to go, going back to our values and saying, okay, does this line up with our values, our family, where, you know, what's really important to us, our core values? Yes, then let's continue with this. Or yes, we let's make this change. Or no, not at all. So maybe this isn't the right change for us, the right step. Um, or maybe we need to relook at our values again, and they need to shift a little bit. For us, our values really are fairly simple. It's like connection, love, uh, independence or autonomy, um, agency. Yeah. And really within that is like that, all of that, you know, self-love, self-confidence that really grows within that agency and autonomy. And those are our core values. Um, And I think you can have a, a lot of values, but those are probably those, those are the ones that we continuously go back to and frame, try our best to frame our life around. It's not like it's perfect all the time, but um, yeah, that's what, and I do actually have them written down. Um, So when we, because we live in Alberta and we have to put in our home ed plan every year, I always start with that, you know, our, this is what it's based on. um, And this is where our learning or family life grows from. And it's just kind of putting it out there for whoever feels they need to read it. But also as a reminder that starting that process, starting this year, this is where we're starting from. We're starting from this paragraph, essentially. So, and I know some families have a mission statement. I know some families have a vision board that they put up and that's their reflection. Um, Make it your own. Yeah, for sure is fundamental. But yeah, the values and guiding purpose are the the core and the key. And, and I, and I do think along with that, um, I know because with their masterclass, I have my masterclass going on right now and we've been really diving into de-schooling like yes. quite a bit. 
And um, I always know it's really important, but it's really become very apparent with uh, doing the masterclass. And, you know, you get all those questions and fears and what about this? And they're doing this. Is this okay? You know, all of those, those things that come up um, and all, especially those changes. And, and we've really been talking about how de-schooling is a change process and change is never easy. As a human being, we actually try to avoid change. We try mm-hmm. to stick to that well-worn path and make it as easy as possible. That's just the way we all are. Uh-huh. Uh, survival, right? Survival, you want to do it easy, the, the known way. And um, so when we're going through change, it can be bumpy, it can be uncomfortable. Uh, but the one thing that does, again, help us to home back in and feel a little bit more um, stable or secure, I guess, is again, our values, our values and guiding purpose and going back to that and thinking, okay, so this is the fear or doubt that's come up. How does this fit with our values or right. does it contradict our values? And that's why it's a really big sticking point for me. So, so you're talking about de-schooling and I, you know, I kind of want to bridge into that because there is something about that word that is as intimidating as unschooling, I think. And there is something about it. And, and even more so that unschooling is fine. Then every day should look like Saturday. I heard someone describe and I'm like, I kind of like that. Um, but de-schooling is what like, um, Okay, well, I have my ideas on it, obviously, but I would love to hear your version of it, because I think it's a really tricky word that people definitely trip over and they want to know how do I de-school? Tell me that. <laughs> so de-schooling, the way I defined it, is really kind of a deprogramming, is a reflection, not only deprogramming, but it's a time of re-examining and reflection on what you really believe to be true and have experienced for learning, right, and living a life of learning, and many times de-schooling is kind of that reflection and deprogramming because to the majority of us, learning looks like school. It right. looks like going to a classroom, sitting in a desk that looks a certain way, following this exact subjects and schedules, uh, really throughout all over, you know, many places in the world, it looks a very specific certain way. Right. And we've come through our experience to understand that well, that's just how it's got to be done because that's what we've experienced and that what we, that's what we know. And de-schooling is kind of letting go, like, does it have to be exactly like that? Like, do my kids have to get up at this time and sit down like this and do this? Does math have to look like a workbook and textbook? Can it be in other ways? It's, um, it's that constant process of questioning, okay, this is maybe what I've experienced, but is this really true to me? Does this fit me as well? Does it serve us? You know, yes. if my kid needs to move every five minutes or needs to move their body sitting in a desk for eight hours, is that really, really the way? Is it really serving them? Or can we look at other ways? You know, and, and the other thing as well, I think it fits really well. And the conversation on B-schooling has grown because we understand more about the brain and neuroscience now as well. Right. And our ideas of learning and how the brain works and develops, we've, we know so much more and it's really shifted what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing that we can create neural pathways, that our learning is not fixed, that it's not your math person and that's what you're going to be and that's what you'll always be good at. So only focus on that. Yep, you're calling me right. I am a math yeah. person. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, you, but you know what? I, our ideas before uh, I have, you know, neuroscience and the research we have now has really changed that. 
So knowing that, but what happens is many times we still go back to the ways before. Um, So it's like, okay, so now we also have this other research and knowledge that is contradicting (laughs) this as well. So why can't we ask the questions? Why can't we say why? You know, why can't we try something different? You know, if if we know that this is applicable and this works with our child, but why are we trying to do the other way that obviously doesn't? So I think de-schooling encompasses all of that. It's a reflection and deprogramming and it's a, a change as well, a change process. Because you also then when you learn those things, you need to like transition your environment as well. You know, in the change process, it's called uh, reculturing. Really, it's changing the way you do things. And I think that's part of the de-schooling process too. So. Which never finishes in my experience. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because it's been like the schooled approach has been around for so long, or if it also has something to do with our generally authoritarian ways of parenting, that Mm -hmm. we are thinking that this is the best way to do this thing, because there's this idea out there that kids don't learn unless they're taught. And kids definitely learn if they're taught. Like my high school student right now, my child that's in public high school, she's like, no, I really like it because I'm learning things in classrooms and with certain teachers, certain classes, and they're able to give me things. So it's not like things can't be taught from the teacher down, but she's interested in doing it. That's, That's an important part of this. She wants to do it. But we have this idea that it has to go from teacher to student. And I think that students are just, or humans, are just naturally learning animals. Like we're naturally interested. And like you referred to neuroplasticity, I think, of our brain is always growing and learning and changing. And I think there's something about our brains as homeschool parents. We see it in our kids. We all want to be learning. And so if we go from that you know, perspective and we say kids just want to learn, do they? Yes, they do. If you give them enough space and you actually let them learn the things they want to learn and go down paths they want to go down instead of you prescribing the lists of things that, say, a school would do. But it's really hard to get out of that mindset. It is. It also really is because it is still reinforced as well in so many ways. Like it's reinforced that. Um, like you said, in the authoritarian way of parenting, but that's also reinforced through structures throughout our society as well. Um, you know, in school, it, it's, that's, that's just the way it is structured as well. You have the top down. Fortunately, the students are at the bottom <laughs> and there's still many layers on top as well. Uh, and and I, I understand for certain reasons um, so therefore it's still encouraged as well, just to keep order, um, to follow those checklists, to make sure, um, you know, when you have a large amount of people and to keep things under control and, yeah. you know, it just the, the ease of making certain measurements, uh, when you have a large group as well. So yeah, it, it definitely, you know, we, it's also around, it's encouraged around us too, in, in so many of those ways and how structures and other parts of society are as well. It's very, you know, authoritarian and top down. Um, you know, there's other factors, I think, as well that influence it too. Um, and, and I'm like, how do I diplomatically say this? <laughs> um, you know, and a lot is a lot of our economy and careers are riding on that structure right. as well, right? So um, that so some are essentially needed in order to for our young people to learn, 
Um, and if they are, if that's not validated, that can cause ripples you right. know, in ways as well. So um, yeah, so it's more are talking about it, but very cautiously as well because of that as well. So yeah, so one of the things that you, one of the things that you spoke about when, when we were talking about how to frame the discussion of de-schooling is trust. And I think that concept really fits into this discussion, especially as, you know, I, I actually think that I'm authoritarian in how I approach my kids. But when I say that, what does that mean to you? Because everybody sees that differently. But if I see one child really mistreating another child, I'm going to jump in there. And at the same time, uh, if it has something to do with how you're learning math or how you're doing something, I'm really free-flowing in how I engage things. Um, But so I can say that, that I recognize that there's authoritarian tendencies that I have. I have four kids too. So I have a few more kids at a, a time. It just feels more orderly, just like you said. And yet I've learned that that element of trust has a huge impact on how I engage everything about them like right from do I trust that they are going to deal with this conflict or you know do I trust that they actually can advocate for their own learning what does it mean to you that concept of trust trust is a huge one because um yeah it has so many so many layers to it as well right trust is trusting in our kids that they are capable that they, you know, trust develops so many things so that they're capable, they can make good decisions. But that also means that we have, when we trust that and believe that, we have to then allow them the space to do those things. So trust means that they can, are they are capable and they can make those decisions and do those things. But also that within trying that and allowing them to do those things, they're going to make mistakes. So it's not like, oh, I trust you're going to make a decision. And I think because they'll always make a good decision. It's also trusting that they're not always going to make a a decision. But, you know, I trust that we can also learn from that as well. That, you know, mistakes, failures, not making a decision, whatever. It is all part of the process as well. And that there is still the security that we're going to learn and move forward, adjust if we have to go back, you know, whatever we need to do in that. So that's part of the trust as well. It's not just, yeah, they're great and they'll have no problem. It's like, okay, I'm aware that there may be difficulties. Right. That's part of it as well. And I'm here to support you and love you. (laughs) Really, we're just here. Parents, we're here not to like create things or make our kids be us. Or We're just here. We get to love them, really. Actually, I was right off the top. Truth. This is how I perceived it. Make them you or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Yeah, that was what I thought it was about. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Until they assert themselves. Like I said, I started with a type eight you know, first child. So then quickly I was told, um, no, I'm not you. So that was actually useful to me. Also really tricky for me all at the same time. But that, but that is another thing though, if you want me to jump in really quickly is trust is trust is also trust in ourselves because I was just going to say that (laughs) we're not going to trust our kids. If we don't demonstrate it as well, they're not going to see it demonstrated. So it goes both ways. So it's, it's trust is a huge part of it. And it's one of the hardest parts of it because it's so complex and trust is so involved with our connection and relationships. And really, I think that's the hard part of it all. It's not the academic part of it all. The academic part of it all really is the easy part. Like, you know, it's the relationships and connection. 
Yes. And all the complexities within that, that are the ups and downs and, and the trust within that and the full circle for ourselves, for others, for our community. It, that, that's the hard part of the de-schooling process. So, so yeah, when you talk, huge. it's huge. When you talk about trust, that's what I think about is if we have the capacity to trust ourselves or to feel at ease with ourselves, then we're able to provide that for our kids. And if we don't have that in ourselves, we aren't going to provide that for our kids because we just, we don't even know it. It's foreign to us. So I'm curious, how did you come to that self-awareness for yourself? Or how did you come to an awareness that trust was an important element in your de-schooling process? Um, I think because I saw it, you know, I heard of it. I think Peter Gray was an early one in that book, Free to Learn, to talk about the freedom and independence and self-direction comes with trust parenting. But yeah. I think it wasn't until experiencing it and seeing mm-hmm. it play out in my life that it was like, oh, okay, this is an example of that. And yeah, that really does work, actually. I didn't have to step in and be the overbearing parent or say it's my way, you know, letting those things happen and just being a support. Yeah. Um, not saying that it's laissez-faire, like we're completely hands-off. And, you know, I think that's also a, a, a dynamic too that people wrestle with when they hear those things and unschooling and all those sort of that get is totally, you don't do anything. And it's just right. a free-for-all. Um, you're still there. You're still a steady support. Uh, um, you know, as trust, it's like, you know, those trust exercises where there's a person behind you and you fall back and they catch yes. you. It's, that person's there to catch you. Right. <laughs> that it's not, you just fall back and you're just like, it is what it is. I hit my head, you know, that that's that partnership as well. So you're still there. Um, so it's seeing it play out in our life that and then demonstrated and then when you see that more often than not and then you continue to practice that and then it happens um that's that's how i that's how it came to be how it kind of glued for me and then also as i get older and i practice it for myself in my own life and i feel the you know the gift and the curse of agency and autonomy is like it's not always easy because you're responsible for yourself and the actions you make and you start to own that and it's like Oh, well, maybe, you know, that wasn't the easiest, but I just feel better knowing that it was me. Right. Giving my power over to somebody else. I'm owning this and it feels so much more liberating. So within myself feeling that and being more confident in that, mm-hmm. then, yeah. And then knowing that I'm not perfect either, right. I'm going to make yeah. some mistakes and I'm going to, you know, upset people and I'm going to upset myself. And then I'm going to learn, how can I do this better next time? <laughs> yes. No, so and then yeah, we can do better next time, and we can communicate that we're trying our best, and we can move forward. So, so you spoke of connection as well, and to me, I'm like you. I I would not have guessed going into homeschooling that academics would have been like the eh, like seventh thing on the list that really mattered. I don't know. I wouldn't put a number on it, but it definitely isn't in the top numbers of things. The first thing I've learned along the way is that it really is about connection. It's about relationship. So how does that play into your, your understanding of de-schooling? De-schooling is all about relationships, 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 and relationships. It can be number one, two, three, four, and five. (laughs) And six. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Because again, um, that process is you know, part of the relationships, building that connection, feeling safe, feeling connected, 
feeling um, loved, feeling that you have meaning as well, and knowing that all of those things are the core of the, the human being, of the self. And I think what happens is, is when we focus on that, because usually that in the de-schooling, usually when we think of schooling, we do think of the academics and it's about the grades and the success in that. The, the relationship part is left out of it. So it is that shift of like, oh, it's not all about the honor roll or about these AP classes or about this graduation or whatever. It's actually about the person because we're going to leave school and like, I don't have an honor roll to live up to right now. I'm not in university right now. So, um, you know, those things are now like void in my life. <laughs> so I'm not measuring myself up, but they, they have no measurement for me. I, I'm just left with myself. Right. And so that de-schooling process, that relationship and connection with our family members, our community, and with ourselves is that lifelong learning. And I think that's a big part of the process to shift in. It's not, okay, this is what grade level I'm in or math level or reading level. It's okay. I know, I know where I am. I know what's value, what my core values are going back to that, our values and guiding purpose. I know what's important for me and how that is like that is my direction, my North star in that way. And, and that is going to be my continuous self going forward, no matter where I am or what situation I'm in. And that I can always, if I need to get that grade level in order to do this, I can do it because I have confidence in myself. And I know that I'll be supported. I have that connection in my relationships. I'll be supported by those around me in order to do so as well. Yeah, that, that is beautiful. That gives me so many different ideas of where I would like to, you know, how can we talk in a different direction? Um, ultimately, the relationship angle, that discussion point has so much, it provides so much trust or a place of peace for the kids. And that's probably why they're not knocking down our doors every day saying, hey, mom, I just need to talk. I miss your voice so much. Please tell me everything you think about dot, dot, dot. They're just like, I'm going to go seize the day and and live my life. And they know we're there. We, they know we're available to them whenever they need to. I want to also ask you about the discussion of shame. So you were, you were saying that that element of shame plays into our understanding or, or learning how to de-school. Would you expand on that? Because those two, I don't automatically connect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is also a discussion that we've had a lot lately as well in our masterclass too. Uh, what happens many times in this de-schooling process when we have questions or doubts or fears that come up around what our kids are doing or what they're learning or what they should, we think what they should be doing or following or where they should be at. Um, all of those ideas, what happens is it's sure a fear or doubt, um, but many times what we do in order to correct it is correct them. Right. And Many times because it's coming from a place of fear and doubt, usually for ourselves, uh, maybe how others are viewing us or the concept they might have of us or our parenting, we um, don't always approach it with our kids in a way that's open and secure and attached. Many times, because also many times that's what we know, we approach it from a place of shame. And that is like, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing this or this is going to wreck your brain, or why are you doing this? Like, are you going to be living in your, ba-? you know, those, all of those, you know, if you keep doing this, you're going to, and it's usually something bad to fill in, or you're going to become, and it's usually something bad, which many times when we talk about it, do you know somebody that is like, no, actually, I don't, I don't know anybody. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> but you know, but we we approach it with that idea of it's shameful. Like if you want to do, if you want to stay in your you're in your pajamas all day long, are you serious? Like why don't you get dressed and do something? You know, like it's the putting down as well. And what happens with the shame as well is it gets hard to overcome that de-schooling process when we're always feeling shame, like, oh, I must Uh not be a good parent because my kids aren't at this level yet, or they're not doing this, or we're going to be doing this all day or week instead of doing this. Um, It gets hard. Number one, that trust isn't there. uh, And that really diminishes the trust. If we're trying to build that trustful parenting, that trustful relationship, that just takes away from that trust. And for ourselves as well, if we're still in that cycle of shame, we can't trust ourselves either. We're, that right. is not there. Yeah. And, and instead of building it up, we're tearing it down. So, you know, it's just something to be aware of. It's, I think, in our shift as well in the de-schooling process, it's also going back to why, you know, why do I, why is this a button for me? Why am I so worried about this? You know, what am I so, why, like, you know, am I, does a neighbor, really, is it because the neighbor said something one day and I felt like I took it personally and I felt that this is just, they're going to be looked down upon me. I won't be accepted by this community. I won't be loved. My parents won't, you know, whatever. We all have our whys because yeah. of our realities and experiences. So it's really going then back to, okay, what is the real connection of this? Is it really that our kids aren't going to be a lawyer or maybe that's, maybe we think that in order for them to be a good person, they have to be a lawyer or a doctor, or they have to be this or this yeah. when really, uh, you know, maybe they can, but it's something else. It's, you know, it, what is, what is it that is really pulling us, you know, is it, or is it that we were never able to do that? And right. so I feel like we missed out. So we want to push them to do that so that they can prove that, you know, maybe I can do it, but because my kids could do it, then it's all, I'm okay. I'm a good person as well. So yeah, there's so much wrapped up into that, but I think shame is something that we overlook in the de-schooling process, but it's a huge part Mm. of that de-schooling process. Yeah, that's very interesting. Breaking the trust. And again, relationships, relationships, relationships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes it hard to have that connection and relationships. You know, I had a neighbor come over when our kids were little, we were homeschooling and I was still in my pajamas and two of my kids were almost completely naked and they're really little. And and then the two older ones were still in pajamas and, you know, stuff on their face. And I'm like, we're homeschoolers. (laughs) And there was that sense of, okay, this is such a classic story and I'm embarrassed (laughs) by this, but there's somewhere along the way. I mean, I went from answering every grocery store cashier's thoughts, opinions, and whatever ideas about what I should or shouldn't be doing with my kids. I'm pretty much trying to create little essays in my mind in response to what, or or tangibly, um, to what I thought was the right answer to now going, I don't even know what people might be thinking anymore, because I just don't care. (laughs) Like, and that's actually true. And I don't mean I don't care about what other people think in general, because some people matter. But generally, I don't care. You were saying that sometimes they the, the culture or different people are suggesting that if your child has done the best thing for them, they will become a, you know, a whatever profession that those would be the ideal professions. It would show that they got a great education. They became what they should have become and did the best for society. But what I've experienced, and it really is not natural. It's almost 
a surprise for me too to see that the more time kids are able to go down their paths and discover the things they're interested in and follow, you know, all the little rabbit trails and follow ours sometimes too, when we're interested in things that they actually become more distilled in who they are so that actually they're way more clear on what they're supposed to be doing when they're 18. And that might change when they're 23 or like you and I later, than that. And so then we we still get a little more clarity as time goes by, but they have this like real leg up right off the top because yeah. they they know who they are and they just take the reins by the yeah. Um, by the cow, by the horse. <laughs> My husband always tells me don't do that. Don't try to pull those things out. I'm really bad with them. The horse by the reins. <laughs> yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> I agree. I am, what are those called? I am very, very bad. Acronyms? No. Say, what are the say? I know what you mean, and I can't. Think I'm of really them. bad. I always mix those up. Yeah, um, I agree. Like, why not? Why not allow that to happen earlier? I think the world would be a better place if yes. more of us in this world knew from an earlier age who we were and what's important, and and you know had that sense of self. Because it's true for us. I think now. I mean, also for us because maybe it was different it's the experience and the practice now for us where we feel like it doesn't and it's the same I'm like I don't really care like if you sure you can ask me these questions but I I'm not going to walk away being worried about it (laughs) I'll answer your questions but it's not going to affect my day um you know it's so that definitely has shifted for me and I also think in some ways because of that I get less questions yes you know, I don't know if you hold yeah. yourself differently or you're just like, yeah, you know, it's, it's diff- it shifts things for sure. You're not always in the defensive. Um, yeah. So people don't approach it's, it's, it's interesting, the dynamic that gets created, but yeah, if our kids could have that earlier, wow. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like how, what powerful human beings, what powerful people in, in the way of powerful, like owning themselves and going yes. out into the world and doing those things like that quote you began with mom that I shared on my Instagram and how it's like, you know, um, doing those different things, those unique things, those creative things that are not the norm. Those are the things that shift us and have new opportunities for everyone and that are, you know, in a way they're destabilizing. Again, that's change, right? That it's, it's messy. It's, it's a transition, but that's where the creative opportunities happen. Said the diplomatic rebel. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice would you give to those listening to us right now? Hmm. The advice I would give to the, um, honestly, um, for parents, just give yourself a little bit of space and grace, really have fun, keep it simple. Um, all of these things, like we talked about the complexities and, you know, those digging deep and those connection and relationships, those are big, powerful things. Those are big things. But sometimes we, I think we, we listen to these podcasts and, you know, again, the shame or the shoulds, um, it's just, you know, just enjoy and give yourself that space for, and again, we're going to make mistakes. We are not perfect. Things will unfold as they will. And, and just allow that to happen as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And uh, if you have to do it, do it in front of a mirror, because I find if you speak in front of a mirror, it feels like you're speaking to somebody else, because sometimes we can be the best friends to pretty much everybody else, but the most challenging to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that that's great. Great advice. Yeah, what awesome. are your, I'd love to hear what you're reading these days. Oh, okay. I am reading. <laughs> like, oh, you want to know what I'm reading? Yes, I do. I love this. I was, <laughs> Classic I was, school moms. Let's talk about books. <laughs> I was on a Louise Erdrich kick. Like I was reading so many of her books, one after the other, after the other. I was actually first introduced to her at my university class. Um, and then I hadn't read her in a long time and she resurfaced in my life again. And so I started reading her again. We have a great used bookstore and they have actually a good selection of Louise Erdrich. So um, I, yeah, she's great. I just finished the bee queen and I'm actually half, I, I actually started two and then I put them down because I've read so many. Um, she's, I, I, she just, her way of writing is so unique to her. The stories that she tells, they're not beautiful. They're beautiful, but they're not the blissful, happy. Like there's a lot of tragedy and struggle in them. The characters are so utterly human. And Ooh, you know, I like that. That is yes. like the epitome of a perfect movie for me is how you just described that. So I'm and sure it, I would like and that. the endings aren't all wrapped up in bows either. Right. You know? But her like endings, like, yeah. And her endings, I'm usually like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, I sit down and think about it for a while. Beautiful. Book. So um, Plague of Dubs is actually my favorite. So that I would recommend that. But, and she um, actually all, almost a lot, all of her characters, but uh, many majority of her characters are First Nations. So it actually adds like, yeah, I I love Louise Erdrich. So that's what I've been reading. But then uh, as I guess an escape, I usually have like an escape book. I just finished the Bridgerton, the first novel of, you know, that Bridgerton. I can't remember what the books are called, but I just finished the first one. Um, So that's what uh, I'm reading. And I'm like, I think there was one other one, but those, those are the two really that I have going right now. So yeah, two two non two fictions, two fictions. Yeah, so I, I've always got like six or seven books on the go, and no fictions. I just finished it up, so I am actually going to go look for that book because that really does sound like something I would read. I go through my nonfiction, then I'm like, oh, I need some fiction right now, and yeah, yeah I go through all of that. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, always throw a few audiobooks in there so that I can feel like I got even more books read this year because I compete against myself on Goodreads. Yeah. I am that geeky. <laughs> <laughs> audiobook. I, I, the current one I haven't finished, I just go back to here and there, is uh, The Atomic Habits. Oh, that yeah. One. So I'd like to listen Absolutely. to it. Yeah. And then my daughter and I always have a read aloud going. Yes. Uh, so we revisited Junie B. Jones. We kind of pulled that oh, back. Oh, yes. Also. Yeah. So, when they were young and we still, so her and I have been reading those again, which are always cute. And she's Fun, yeah. been into um, Maze Runner series. Oh, so really? Her reading. Yeah. So it's, it, I laugh because Junie B is so lighthearted yeah. in the garden and then Maze Runner is so dystopian. So uh, she loves she loves it, though. She loves the dystopian theme. So, yeah, you know, actually, my son and I are reading Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, yes, the youth I version. Oh, I love it. I've never laughed so much in any read aloud ever. It's really good. I've, I read that one a little while ago and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, me too. So what are you learning alongside your daughter right now or these days? 
Um, so actually we, she's been exploring Turkey because we have, we decided to try a food subscription box and the first one was from foods from Turkey. So she's been, and we knew we got a choice with that one. And we, until she's been kind of slowly exploring that. And, um, one of the, so I've been learning that alongside of her and we're both like, wow, we really want to go to Turkey. It's so beautiful and fascinating and the history and the food. And like, there's just, it is endlessly fascinating. So that's currently what I'm learning alongside her right now. Um, I didn't know that Turkey had so many cats, like in Istanbul, that was something that was new. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm learning. And then as well, learning, you know, the life of a young teen and that teen girl. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of familiar. That's what I'm learning beside with my daughter. I'm relearning myself in many ways. So yes, that is very interesting. Have three teenage daughters. Well, I guess no, I have two teenage daughters. Yeah. One's an adult, a young adult. Yes. Yeah. So I, I got to hear your name of your podcast and pretty much everywhere we find you online is called Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Did you have a fascination with the movie back in the 1980s or it. You yeah. loved it? Yeah, I had it on. What is it? Not even DVD. I had it on VHS for yeah. many years until my husband said, no one is watching VHS anymore. We should get rid of the VHS machine. And I genuinely regret having got rid of that machine. <laughs> so. That's where it originated was from that movie way back in the day. Well, it wasn't actually, Uh, I love that movie and I've watched it many times. My kids have watched it many times, but uh, when I was thinking of a name for the podcast, I actually took an afternoon away and I sat and I wrote down, my goal was to write down 100 names, 100 titles for my podcast. A friend uh, who was a business coach recommended that. And she's like, just try this. So I did. And I took the afternoon and I just wrote all these names that came down and then I left it. And then I came back to it and I read them all out loud to my husband. My dear husband is like, you know, my sounding board. And every time I said that name, I laughed out loud. And he was like, you know, when you say that name, you laugh and it's just so you, you know, he's like, you, that's the other ones are a bit too serious. What, you know, he's like, this Uh is you when you say this and you laugh. He's like, that's what sticks out to me. And it was true. It was the only one that when I said it, I got a big smile and that was it. That was the one. So, and I just, I don't know, maybe we had watched the movie and it, that kind of came in. It was subliminal. I'm not sure, but. Well, when it pops up on my feed, I smile too. Cause I, <laughs> I really, I get so much from it all the time. It always helps me. I message you. I'm like, I don't know if I'm an unschooler. Maybe I'm an unschooler. Now I'm this, now I'm that. I'm, I'm all over the place. Our classical stuff right now. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> I refuse to be labeled with somebody at home with my kids learning stuff. That's probably too long as a label. (laughs) (laughs) So where can we find you online? Uh, Honey, I'm homeschooling the kids on Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook at honey. I'm homeschooling the kids. You can go to my podcast, honey. I'm homeschooling the kids. The website is I'm homeschooling, but you'll still get there. If you put in honey, I'm homeschooling the kids um and clubhouse my club is called honey i'm homeschooling just because i could only have a certain amount of characters so honey i'm homeschooling we have regular rooms and now we have rooms um on learning and homeschooling and on everything that goes around with it um so saturdays mondays tuesdays and thursdays now so all through the week 
Uh, I have a Patreon community. So if you'd like to join that community, patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And you can always contact me through any of those DM me through social media or through my website. So that's, those are the ways that you can reach out and contact me. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. It was, uh, thank you for sharing time with me. Thank you. I, I always love connecting with you, Teresa. Thank you. I would love to learn more about who you are, so introduce yourself at the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Instagram page or the Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out my book of homeschool encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for a mentoring group to gain clarity, confidence, and vision in your homeschool, to create a plan to nurture the nurturer, and be intentional in how you show up in your homeschool, ask me about the Homeschool Mama Retreat. All the show notes and links to this episode will be found at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Until next time, I hope you and your kids have a charmed week, or if you're having one of those weeks, I hope you can reframe your challenges into your homeschool charms.